It's Zach Subridio from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with the sponsor, Reed. Silicon Valley Bank is a proud sponsor of Boston Speaks Up for more than 35 years. Silicon Valley Bank has helped innovative companies and their investors move bold ideas forward fast. SVB provides targeted financial services and expertise through its offices at 53 State Street in downtown Boston and in Newton and innovation centers around the world. With commercial, international, and private banking services, SVB helps address the unique needs of Boston's innovators. Learn more at svb.com. Zach video here. With Boston Speaks Up, I'm here with Sean Cantwell, Managing Partner at Volition Capital. Sean, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm like, I'm like staring up at the mic because I don't have a, a video camera to stare at today. It's, uh, it's out. It's not here at our um, current production studio in underscore BC. So we're just going to do this audio only today. It's all good. I got yeah. a face for radio. Yeah. I know. I got my hair all curled up. My, da- my daughter, um, my wife and my daughter came home with some new product. So how's it looking, Sean? Just describe it to and, uh, it's, it's looking quite curly, mm-hmm. looking pretty good. Thanks. I also have a few daughters, so I'm quite familiar with nice. that product. People people come up to me and be like, oh, wow, do you, randomly, they'll be like, do you perm your hair? I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I do. No, I just I just rock the Sicilian curls. Um, so it's um, it's a pleasure to connect. And I would love to kind of dig in. Volition had a lot of noise in December. You guys raised like over $600 million And we kind of went through this a little bit in the pre-podcast uh, Q&A. Um, kind of outline, you know, it's, the way it was outlined to me is that, you know, $400 million is sort of like for new investments. And we, I would love to talk about like mm-hmm. the types of new investments and and the current portfolio and look what you're looking to build on. And then 200 million is actually for sort of like additional growth capital for existing investments. Correct. Um, so I definitely want to sort of unpack that and we'll link to some of the recent news in the, in the Q and a, but before we get into like the weeds, just kind of top line, would love for you to share with Boston O and Boston speaks up listeners what is Volition Capital and sort of your brand ethos. And then we're going to kind of go back in time and have a little bit of your sort of career journey and then we'll work our way up to the present day. Sure, absolutely. Uh, Well, again, thanks for having me, Zach. Uh, Volition Capital, we did have a busy December, as you noted. Uh, We finalized fundraising on uh, Volition Fund 4 as well as uh, Select Fund, which is complementary to that fund. Uh, And what we do as a firm, we're growth stage investors. Uh, So if you think about the typical profile of a company we'll invest in, many times they're founder-owned bootstrap businesses that have managed to reach a certain level of scale and establish product market fit, and they've managed to do that without raising huge sums of capital. Mm -hmm. Uh, So from our standpoint, the opportunity has been de-risked, but there's also a lot of value in partnering with a founding uh, management team who who has been super scrappy. Uh, you know, in funding growth through customer revenue as opposed to investor funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are companies that, you know, by definition, because they have been bootstrapped or primarily bootstrapped, don't necessarily need to raise capital, but recognize their market opportunity is really constrained only by their balance sheet resources and their, uh, you know, ability to invest in further growth. So that's where we tend to get involved. Um, You know, it's across a few different industries. So our heritage is really in technology and tech-enabled services, primarily software and software as a service, uh, but have also, you know, expanded over time to include, uh, you know, consumer and uh, internet-related businesses. Cool. So a couple follow-up questions. Have you noticed over the... Because you've been with Volition since 2011? So we started the firm yeah. in 2010. We actually right. just had our 10-year anniversary nice. on January 1st. Thank you. Yeah. And in those in that 10-year span, do you feel like that's... You've got a pretty good... You could be a pretty good barometer for us yep. on the shifts in uh, industry mm-hmm. and it's sort of like early stage venture backed um 
growth companies in mm -hmm. Boston. You just mentioned consumer. Yep. Um, is do you have you noticed more consumer in recent years? Is that something that has always been around, or are you just more gravitated towards consumer most re more recently? Uh, so one of my partners, Larry Chang, uh, really spends a good amount of time in, in, in consumer. One of our investments in e-commerce really focused on consumer was Chewy.com, yeah. not a Boston company down in Florida. Uh, but through that experience, started to see more emerging kind of D2C consumer brands where, you know, consumers are just looking to connect to brands that are speaking to them in different ways than you know, the brands that have been around for 40 and 50 years. Yeah. And there's an opportunity to deliver a higher quality, higher product service in a direct-to-consumer manner. Cool. Uh, so we are absolutely seeing a lot more companies uh, in that space, and we're actively looking at a lot of those. Nice. And how? what's the balance between investing in companies in Boston and investing in companies elsewhere? Yeah, so our mandate is North America. Mm -hmm. uh, so we spent a lot of time on planes. This week I was in... Des Moines, Chicago, and Pittsburgh, uh, and back to Boston. Now, uh, I'm actually I'm actually fortunate in that I'm I'm on the board of three Boston technology companies right now. Mm -hmm. uh, my partners, uh, I, I think, are uh, not so fortunate. No, <laughs> you know they're they're they, they begrudge me a little bit as they're dealing with the red eyes back from the the West Coast. But we really do, you know, look nationally. Um, but someone, you know, along the way in my career said like. First step, own your backyard. Yeah. And we're in Boston. It's a vibrant entrepreneurial ecosystem, highly educated population with lots of interesting businesses that are spawning entrepreneurs. And, you know, we've been fortunate to invest in, in a number over, over the years. Cool. Growth capital versus venture capital. Yep. They're not necessarily interchangeable. What's, mm -hmm. How do you see the difference? How do you describe the difference to sort of the yeah. layman listener. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's a, I mean, this is a question I get a lot when we're interviewing analysts because yeah. we hire, we hire folks right out of college. So, yeah. uh, you know, there's a broad continuum from seed stage all the way through leverage buyout, right? All of that encompasses the term private equity that we all know. Um, but there are distinctive strategies along that continuum. Um, venture capital, I think, you know, it's, it's earlier stage from a risk profile standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we, we do fit under the umbrella of venture capital, yeah. uh, but I think the distinction oftentimes is, uh, you know, growth equity would be defined by companies that have established that product market fit. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the capital is really about pouring fuel on the fire yeah. to invest in sales and marketing and yeah. grab market share. Yeah. So there's less product risk. Yeah. Uh, than you might have in the conventional definition of venture capital. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I really like the way you put it at the beginning, how you were describing, like you weren't, you hadn't identified as growth equity, but it's what you were describing and that a lot of the companies you seek out, they're scrappy founders. These are the types of companies that I love working with too mm -hmm. that have like achieved, like they've basically thrived and grown off re customer revenue. Right. But if you could throw gasoline on the fire, like there's, there's tons of economies of scale they have and they're, they're just like growth capital allows them to, you know, they're built for scale yeah. and a little bit of growth capital helps them sort of like scale more quickly and scale sales, marketing and sort of like some of the operational things around those business units for a more mature company. Absolutely. Like a common discussion point in our partner meetings as we're evaluating new opportunities, it always comes back to something like this. Look at what this team has accomplished with no outside capital or maybe a couple million dollars here and there. Imagine if we can put 10 or 15 million on the balance sheet, enable this founder team where you got one or two folks wearing multiple hats, mm -hmm. help them build out that team mm -hmm. to position them for scale and help guide them on that path on where, when, and how much to invest yeah. to really put them on the best path. Um, that's always part of the, cool. you know, kind of the investment thesis. Nice. So, uh, the v, like in some, one of the things that was, that you mentioned in the, in the pre podcast Q and a is that what you like about sort of growth equity and VC world is sort of the, the competition of it. I think in general, like a lot of, yep. I mean, there's, there's the innovative nature of it, but then also the, from a VC, like sort of the competitive nature, like, and not so much with other VCs, more with you find a company that's competing in some market and you're helping them go and, and sort of like go to battle. And, 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 and win and have, you know, the best possible outcome, right? Um, 
So I want to talk about where that comes from yep. and go way back in time to where you grew up, which was Allentown. Allentown, PA. PA. And end up A-Town. Nice. So let's, let's dig, let's dig it. All right. Let's talk about it a bit because when you, you, you mentioned, um, you know, childhood spent after school playing sports with your friends. Sounds a lot like mine, yep. you know, dreaming of maybe, maybe I could be a pro soccer player. Maybe I could be a pro, you know, maybe if I grow enough, I could be a basketball player. I don't know. For me, it was just like, it was all sports all the time. Yep. Sports in school was kind of my thing. Uh, what was it for you growing up in Allentown? What was it like? Yeah. So Allentown was an amazing place to grow up. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in the type of neighborhood where you got home from school and then you said, see you later, mom, I'm going to the park. Jump on your bike or? Yeah. Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to actually be walking right there nice. to like the neighborhood park. Cool. And there were probably 15 kids within a year or two of my age. Amazing. Who would do the same thing, go down there and depending on the season, we'd play basketball, <laughs> stickball, football. Football in the snow. Yeah, football in the snow. Oh, we yeah. build forts in the woods. Oh. You name it. Snow I mean, it was, fights. Snow. Snow. Capture the flag. Uh, not so that? much. No? Not so okay. much capture the flag. Um, yeah, but we just had, a, I mean, we had a great, great yeah. time, great childhood. Um, and you know, Allentown's the type of town where, uh, you know, it's a good cross section of the population, folks of all different, you know, types of backgrounds. Uh, but it's a type of town with like blue collar sensibility, hardworking folks. Uh, I was definitely fortunate to have like two super supportive parents yeah. that gave me great opportunity and encouraged me to, to do my best. So. Uh, I definitely look back fondly on my childhood. That's great. So what did your parents do for work? Uh, so my dad, uh, so my dad was, you know, absolutely like a mentor for me <laughs> growing up and someone I looked up to. He, you know, worked for a big Fortune 500 company, Air Products and Chemicals uh, in the Allentown area, you know, kind of grew up in the sales and marketing organizations mm -hmm. uh, of that company. Uh, you know, he was the first guy in his family to go to college, financed it, you know, on an ROTC scholarship. Wow. Served in the Navy, uh, served in Vietnam. Um, so he definitely, like, instilled in me a level of discipline, which I wasn't always, like, receptive to mm -hmm. as a child. And, you know, there were periods where I maybe rebelled against that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but by and large, uh, you know, he, he set a great example of, like, you know, hard work, high integrity, do the right thing. Um, and you know, that'll, that'll kind of be rewarded and, and paid off. My mom, I uh, was a stay at home, home mom who really looked after, you know, me and my sister. Uh, and she was someone who like pushed me really hard. I think she saw potential in me that I didn't see in myself. Mm. And she like fought for me, you know, there were, there were times when I maybe didn't see that potential in myself and she would push me and advocate for me and, and make sure I'm getting on the right track. So I, look back and owe a lot to both of them, yeah. as well as my sister, who was a few years older than me. That was my next question, was it's any siblings? So older sister? So older sister, you may ultimately ask where I went to college, yeah. which was Notre Dame. Yeah. And <laughs> really the main reason I ended up out there is she's three years older than me. Sure. And she went to Notre Dame. Cool. Uh, you know, I grew up yeah. in a Catholic family. I went to Catholic school yeah. growing up. So Notre Dame was absolutely aspirational for me yeah it was my dream school it's like one of those defining moments in my life when i got that acceptance letter what um, year was it that you were graduating high school going to notre dame so graduated high school 1995 my first college visit was i hitched a ride with a family friend who was going out to south bend okay for the notre dame penn state game in 1992 oh, geez amazing which if you grow up in allentown pennsylvania you are either a notre dame fan or a penn state fan yeah it's big big high school football town sure allentown uh college football is also very popular but nevertheless i go out to notre dame uh the games it's snowing notre dame wins in a two-point conversion as time expires they're filming Rudy at halftime of the game. Uh, there's a scene in the movie where it's snowing and Rudy's in the stands. That was that game. That was that. So game. nevertheless, it was just like that was your first. visit. That was my first. So you fell in love. That was my first yeah. visit to a college campus, yeah. and I was like, sold. Like this is where I'm going. I, I will yeah. tell you that was like motivating to me. I got to like get my nose yeah. in the books and study yeah. and do whatever I can to That's get cool. out here. Not necessarily yeah. really knowing what I wanted to do long yeah. term. I just knew I wanted to be a student there. Nice. Um, Quick side tangent, but on a related note, my um, my brother is 19 months younger than me, and he ended up going to Boston University with me. Yep. And there's something nice about sort of um, 
ended up in college with a sibling if it's for so did you and your sister overlap for one year so she was a senior when i was a freshman cool you know she loaded that? up the fridge with beer for me That's so amazing. i was the most popular freshman yeah. on the floor you yeah. know uh but she also um you know she was just a great another great mentor for me you know part of the reason i ended up out there yeah. a big part of that obviously had to do with her she ended up majoring in business which is kind of how i navigated on that path where's she now uh so she lives in philly has a family cool. uh works at vanguard cool um yeah so she you know she and i are, are still very tight amazing so when so notre dame what'd you study at notre dame so i was a finance and computer applications double major cool and upon like what were you well, at this point, you weren't going to be a, you weren't playing on the Notre Dame football team. So you're probably like, all right, I'm not going to be a pro athlete. Correct. Um, not that you really said you would be, but I'm just, I'm just going to yep. have some fun here. So what was it that, cause I sort of, I, you know, you go toward a direction and you're like, for me, I was like, I could do advertising or media yep. or PR. And it was sort of like, and it went in different directions over the course of four years. Were you pretty, like, what were you thinking you were going to do freshman year? How would that change by yeah. senior year? So yeah. I think, uh, you know, people reach that point of clarity yeah. at various different points in their life. Sure. Right. And, you know, all you can do is expose yourself to different things and hope you find something you really like and you're passionate about, and then you can pursue it. You know, when, when new analyst hires come in to talk to us, you know, we'll discuss this topic. And, you know, when you're 22, the range of options is, I'm using my hands, is really wide. Sure. You know, and each decision you make, that path narrows narrow. a yeah. little bit. Whereas now I'm, I'm 42 and, like, I'm in my lane. Mm -hmm. I'm doing what I'm doing. But when you're 22, you can really go in a lot of different directions. Um, like I said, I went to Notre Dame. I thought, hey, business is, business, that sounds good. Yeah. Uh, growing up at Allentown, you don't really have any exposure or familiarity to careers in financial services. Okay. Nobody's dad's an investment banker, venture yeah. capital project. No one's, I, you'd never hear those words. Sure. Um, but I thought business was an interesting path. And my dad was, you know, in yeah. air quotes, a businessman, business whatever man. that yeah. meant. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I, I did major in, 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 in business and then kind of navigated towards the finance route. When it came time to interview for college, so this is, you know, I graduated in 99. Yeah. So like the hot topic at that time was Y2K. Mm -hmm. Everyone's like totally afraid. All, everything going to break. All computer yeah. systems yeah. <laughs> uh, are going to shut down. The national grid isn't going to work. You name it. So yeah. that created this unbelievable opportunity for consulting firms to go out there and sell these large scale ERP implementations yeah. to large enterprises. And I remember my senior year at the big at the time it was the big five yeah. came on campus and each of them was hiring like 50 people. And they had, uh, they had this business title. It was called business consulting. Right. And I was like, all right, yeah, I'm a business yeah. guy. I'll go consult on business. That sounds yeah. good. Uh, and, uh, so I did that. I moved to Chicago partly because I thought it would be like a fifth year of college yeah. and I didn't want college to end, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I moved to Chicago with a few of my, my, my college roommates yeah. and I'm doing, you know, business consulting. Yeah. What that really meant, Listeners, you just missed the air quotes yeah. business consulting, yeah. So what that really <laughs> meant <laughs> is I was getting staffed in cities other than Chicago, by the way. And Monday to Friday, I was on the road working on these, like, large-scale ERP oh, implementations. Interesting. interesting. So it was, like, kind of an Accenture, McKinsey you got consulting it. model. So I was at Arthur Anderson right okay. after Accenture okay. kind of split. Yeah. And then in that void, they created Arthur Anderson Business Consulting. Um, and that's what I was doing. So I did that, you yeah. know, for two years. Yeah, I was yeah. just traveling around and doing these like large scale systems implementations, yeah. which you're an embedded agent, which you would be like it. a double. I had a buddy do that at Accenture, right out of BU, as an engineering student, and uh, he enjoyed it for a little while. And then he burned out because he was like, "I got a place in DC, I got my my home in Boston. Yep. I can't date anyone consistently in either place. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it was, it's I'd little. say it's like a good." you know, welcome to the real world sure. kind of experience. You yeah. know, I'm on, I, I had to wake up at 3.30 every Monday to get to O'Hare to catch a flight to Omaha or right. Philly or wherever I was. And, um, you know, that was good, but I didn't look up in the organization and say like, I want to be that guy, you know? Yeah. Like I looked at my boss and my boss's boss and then the boss above that. And I didn't really see that like mentor and I didn't envision myself in that job. Sure. 
So I said, okay, it's time to like pick my head up and try something different. Right. And and I and thought, how long was that that you were there? A couple of years. Couple of years. Couple yeah. of years. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I was like, you know, I, I was looking back at this point, and now I felt like I was starting to hone in on what I wanted to do and what I liked and didn't like. And I was kind of mad at myself, frankly, that I didn't pursue the finance route. You know, I mentioned I had the double major. Yeah. Um, and if at the time, if I had gone back, I probably would have pursued investment banking just to get that like finance skill set. And I started talking to a couple of my friends about what I was thinking about doing and, and maybe making a little bit of a career shift. And just so happens, one of my college roommates this is like, I, I just like fell into this industry, if I'm being totally yeah. honest. Um, they were, yeah, found you. So yeah, yeah. So one of my college roommates had moved from Chicago to Boston mm -hmm. to join a private equity firm called Summit Partners, okay. big, big firm. Uh, they, along with a couple others, really created what is now considered the growth equity asset class. Um, you know, and they, like Volition today, would hire, you know, raw material, mm -hmm. if you will, folks which... Uh, you know, hardworking, motivated, smart enough, I suppose. Yeah. The and soft skill set yeah. to be honed. And uh, and he's like, I think you'd be perfect for it. Yeah. So he gave me like a crash course on private equity. Right. I probably asked him a question like you did to yeah. start this. Like, what's the yeah. difference between yeah, yeah, yeah. and growth? Yeah, let's start one-on-one. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he gave me the crash course and I, you know, I fly out two days later. I meet, I think, eight partners you know, all of whom have degrees from Harvard and Stanford and yeah. they all love their job and they talk about it with passion yeah. and they're talking about their portfolio companies. And yeah, I guess I did well enough in the, in the, in the interviews that they gave me the job and I still didn't fully appreciate what the industry entailed, but I, you know, I accepted on the spot before they even gave me the offer, yeah. you know, and that's what brought me to, to Boston. And that was really my entry point into this industry. Nice. And is that something that struck you pretty, po I'm sure pretty positively the, um, the enthusiasm? Absolutely. It and was, I mean, I feel like their jobs. that's like, what I, that's what I was like missing, sure. you know? Yeah. And, I, and I think like whenever someone asks for career advice, right? Yeah. What, what, do, what do people respond? They say, Hey, you got to find your passion. Yeah. Don't pursue, don't pursue the money, like pursue your passion and then success will find you. Yeah. It's really easy to say that it's yeah. hard to do. Yep. And I, I will just tell you, like, I was very fortunate that at an early point in my career, you know, I was probably 24 at this point, I found a job that I just loved yeah. and I had passion for uh, and excitement. And what was great was, you know, I, that enabled me to just like put my head down and focus on where I was, not think about anything else, but really just try to do the best job I could do while I was there. Yeah. Cool. So that was, and that was Summit? That, that was, was Summit, yep. Yeah. And that was 2004, so we got a good, you know, four years before the recession. So 2001 so, to 2004. Okay, so Then I left to go to business school. So it was okay. one of these things where I was like, come here, yeah. three-year associate nice. role, where yeah. like, they give you a computer, a headset, and your job is sourcing investments. Interesting. So yeah. over the course of three years- Is it still that, like this? It is, yeah. and our analyst role yeah, yeah, at Volition yeah, yeah. is very similar. Yeah. I, I can't speak to Summit, what right, it's right. like, I've been gone a long time, but- you know, during the course of my three years there, I probably spoke to, gosh, I don't even know, somewhere between like three and 5,000 CEOs. Interesting. And, and were you, are you, I mean, you see, like you generally an extrovert, like you talk to strangers or like, I mean, you talk to an incredible amount of people yes. for the first time in this role. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and you have to get over like those nerves of like, sure. gosh, I'm 24. Like, why is a CEO going to talk to me? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And, you know, even today at Volition, you know, we train folks on how to do that and what the right questions are and all yeah. that sort of stuff. But I do think it's a certain type of person sure. who, again, like gets energy from that. Yeah. Because uh, we, we're very lucky that, you know, we get well north of 100 resumes for probably every one analyst role we yeah. fill. Yeah. And many of these folks are unbelievable on paper. Yeah. Um, but book smarts doesn't always translate yeah. into street smarts, yeah. which you need to have. Yeah. Um, and you also have to have that person ability that and range. comfort level, comfort yeah. level, right? Yeah. So it's like, you yeah. gotta be able to use both sides of your brain. For sure, yeah, it's something that, um, like I always, the word that comes to mind for me is like range, like you have to be a chameleon. Like the, the yep. person that's on the phone is very unique and like no one else you've ever spoken to. And you, you're gonna have to sort of like, maneuver and make them feel, you know, comfortable. And it's not one size fits all approach to just getting on the phones with, with folks for the first time. That's absolutely true. So three years in that role. Yep. And then you went to business school. Where did you go to for business I school? I did. Uh, so I went to Harvard Business School. 
So again, this is one of these things where it's like, sometimes people say, Hey, like, are you lucky? Are you good? I attribute a lot of where I am to to just luck, you know? Uh, I think when I moved to Boston, I didn't even know Harvard had a business school, you know? And then I find myself working for like an amazing range of, of, uh, uh, mentors, yeah. many of whom had degrees, and you're from on Harvard this track School. to go to HBS. Yeah, like, whoa. yeah. So next thing, you know, next thing I know, I pick up my head, and I'm in HBS, and I'm looking around at all these unbelievably impressive people, and I'm thinking, you know, like I've come to learn, many people feel is like I'm an admissions mistake. I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah, I, I have similar feelings. Even I remember first semester at BU, I was like, crap, they're gonna. I think people are figuring it out. <laughs> yeah. I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but, but, so the, it took a little time to acclimate, but you, yep. and you were very quickly just, I mean, one of the best thing, I haven't done business school, but everyone tells me just the, the network, you know, the, the people, your peers that you meet in business school is, and actually um, Lauren Landry used to um, write for Boston. Oh, she actually works for HBS online now. Yep. And they're trying to do their best at, not doing it like how many other universities have, but create a Harvard Business School online um, experience mm-hmm. for people around the world to kind of democratize acts, access to HBS. Yep. And the biggest hurdle they've had and is in what they've really pushed hard to do is embrace technologies that allow peer-to-peer communication. Yep. So it's not just like the one-to-many, like the professors speaking to a student, uh, mm-hmm. students. I met like a lot of, imagine what you got out of HBS was those peers you met with and you know, maybe you still work with or are friends with to this day, or you just ex- exchange tips with and, and sort of and learn from because everyone had been working professionals for some time. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. It's usually beneficial. It's interesting. Like, I don't think we as a firm have ever invested in an HBS grad. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, you know, our entrepreneurs we invest in, they don't even have a college degree. Yeah. Um, and you know, otherwise, you know, I think it's like a very interesting cross-section. Some immigrants, some folks who grew up here, went to state school, you name it, right? Um, but a lot of times I find uh, folks that have a highly pedigreed background, sometimes the opportunity cost of pursuing the entrepreneurial route is high. Yeah. Because, gosh, I could go work at McKinsey or Bain or Goldman, you name it, right? Yeah. And sometimes that creates a little bit of a risk aversion. Yeah. Um, but I do find myself like interacting with you know, fellow classmates quite a bit. It, last week was actually like an awesome moment for me where mm-hmm. one of my classmates, like one of my section mates at, at, at Harvard, you're like broken up into sections of 90 folks and you spend the entire first year with those 90 people. And, and one of the women in my class is now an entrepreneur. She has this great business and she's on the road considering raising capital and came in, you know, to, cool. to tell the story to, to me and one of my partners. And I was just like, man, I'm like so proud of you and yeah. like what you've accomplished. It's yeah. awesome. Because yeah. I think back, like we were together in a classroom during like very formative days of yeah. our yeah. learning process. Uh, so it's cool to see now, whatever it is, 13 years, 14 yeah. years later, yeah. uh, post-graduation, people have gone on and done a lot of really awesome things. The evolution of the network is, uh, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So as you, let's talk more about your evolution. So then when did you finish at Harvard Business School and what was your next move? Yeah, so uh, 06, I finished. Um, and, you know, interesting point in my life because I, you know, I got married, for, you know, summer before business school and we had our, our oldest daughter, shout out Caitlin, who's nice. now 13, uh, 06, end of second year. Um, Fathers and daughters club. It, yeah, yeah. So I got I got three daughters and a son. Cool. Um, yeah. So uh, we're thinking, gosh, like, where do we want to live? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, in the city, in the suburb, you name it, right? And trying yeah. to figure out, you know, all these big decisions and responsibilities. And um, you know, I pursued a lot of things. Like one great thing about business school, much like undergrad, is now all of a sudden it's like you hit the reset button. You could now rebrand yourself and do a lot of different things. So I kind of came full circle. I explored everything but private equity. Sure. Because I want to see what else is out there, right? And I did. And then I ultimately came back to, all right, there's a reason. So many people try to get into this industry and it's it's pretty great. And, and, you know, I ultimately reminded myself of all the things I like. So I I got introduced uh, through a friend of a friend, um, or actually through through one of my good friends, we had a mutual friend, mm-hmm. and that was Larry Cheng, who is now my partner. He was at the time at Fidelity Ventures. Okay. And so I joined Fidelity Ventures. Uh, part of Fidelity is you know, kind of their in-house um, vehicle to do 
you know, kind of technology investing across mm -hmm. stages, and they were really trying to build out their growth stage capability. Uh, so myself and then my other partner, Roger Hurwitz, we ended up joining within a week of each other. Roger had been in New York, um, and we were both hired to really help build up kind of this growth stage capability. So Roger, Larry, and I, along with Andy, who's our kind of CFO and COO, worked together for a few years. Nice. Um, uh, kind of rode through that market correction in 2008 yeah. and then had the crazy idea to like go start a firm. Yeah. I love the uh, word choice market correction. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, that was a, that was a tough time to, uh, I had recently graduated college, so that was a, not a good time to be looking for a job. That was a tough time to be looking for a job. Uh, but or to be raising a first time fund, by the way. Yeah. I, I imagine so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then, so fund, so it was, it was 2010. Yeah. Was it for how big was the first fund? So there's an evolution yeah. of funds. You yeah. know, I mentioned the most yeah. recent one is, is yeah. 400. The one before that was 250. And prior to that was uh, 170. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Cool. So now the past, and, and I want to say, so it was 2000, for some reason I thought I had, I found like an announcement where you had joined in like 2011, but were you on the team like right off the bat? Yeah, so yeah. that's funny. So yeah. I think I was promoted to partner in 2011. Maybe that's what, oh, we that's saw. what it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, but did you all kind of leave Fidelity we did. together? We did. What was so, that? What was that like? Was that smooth? Did Fidelity embrace that? Do they support their their uh, in-house sort of investment folks sort of moving out of house, and that's part good for the. Fidelity brand? Yeah, no, Fidelity's been an amazing partner, yeah. kind of through it all, and created the opportunity that really enabled us to do that and, and start Evolution. So that was absolutely smooth. Yeah. There, the days leading up to yeah. like, you know, are we going to spin out? What are we going to do? Yeah. Um, it was interesting because at the time, I want to say I was a VP title-wise, mm -hmm. and Roger and Larry were partners, and... If you've seen the movie Jerry Maguire, you yeah. remember that, right? Yeah, so like, yeah. it's like they come to my office, it's like, all right, here's what we're doing. You in? You got 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, all right, I'm in. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Um, and, uh, you know, thankfully I was at a point in my life where I, I felt like I could do that. And I, I believed so much in our strategy yeah. and what we were doing. And I also felt like I was fortunate to have found a group of guys that I trust and believe in, not only on a professional level, but also on a personal level. Nice. Um, so I just feel like we're really aligned with like shared set of values and all that sort of stuff. That's awesome. Um, so it was easy for me to say yes. Yeah, great. How big's the team now? Yeah, so we've grown quite a bit. Um, you know, now, you know, the team's over 20. I mean, one of the beautiful yeah. things is like you can scale in our business without massive headcount uh -huh. growth. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, it's, you know, in the early days, we were in a sublease, and there were, you know, probably five or six of us. Have you always been in the back bay? Uh, we have. Yeah? We have, yeah. So we're at uh, 177 Huntington now, okay. uh, which is a good spot. Um, yeah, so it's it's exciting. Like, as we grow as a firm, I think, like, some of the challenges we have mirror our portfolio companies in some ways, where it's like, how do you... How do you pass on that culture, culture and mission and passion and ethos mm -hmm. that we had in that sublease when it was like a handful of us and we weren't sure if we'd be able to raise our first fund. Right. When it was and more scrappy. Yeah, it was yeah. just so scrappy, right? right? Um, but we believed in what we were doing. We believed in each other. Yeah. And we like fought for each other, yeah. you know? And um, those are the sorts of things. Just like every company, as you scale and grow, you have to start being more mindful yeah. about things like that and management responsibilities and like developing your team so that they can grow and you can give them the same sorts of opportunities we were afforded. Yeah. Right? Cause it's, it's very much like a mentorship business yeah. investing for sure. Yeah. Um, and I've been the beneficiary of great mentors. Yeah. You know, so we take that responsibility seriously. Cool. You got into it a bit earlier, like sort of like a bit of the, I don't like, what I want to get at is like, what's your, like sort of like your investment ethos? Yep. Like you're ch chatting a bit about like the sort of the characteristics mm -hmm. of a company that you would pursue yep. um, a partnership with. But talk a, more a bit about the sort of shared interests and like mm -hmm. the types of founders yep. that you seek out. And is there a bit of like a, yeah, like what's your sort of investment um, ethos when you're evaluating companies? Yeah. So, 
I'd say, you know, we want entrepreneurs that are equal parts aggressive and conservative, if that makes sense. Where, um, and knowing when to be which. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like you're making smart bets at the right time, yeah. but you're doing it in a way that doesn't risk the business, right? So, um, you know, companies, there are lots of companies that have been founded on a bootstrap and, you know, their mentality might be to just run it in that way, right? And, you know, run a lifestyle business that does not align with venture return expectations. Um, so we're finding folks that, have been pragmatic and scrappy and hustled and worn lots of different hats. Their, their whole self-identity and purpose is like embedded in this company, right? So they're going to make it succeed and they're going to find a way to do that. Um, so we love that just ambition for greatness or aspiration for greatness. There's lots of like, um, you know, objective, uh, measures we look for a certain, you know, revenue run rate and growth rate, um, capital efficiency, things of that nature. Uh, but the one subjective thing we're looking for is aspirations for greatness. Sure. So this is someone who, like us, you mentioned competitiveness, someone who wants to win, they hate to lose, just like us. Yep. And uh, you want to be the market leader. Like you've put yourself in a position where you have happy customers and you want to you wanna own the market, you know? And you know, perhaps there's a market opportunity out there that you find yourself in and you have a product customers like and they're buying and you realize there's lots of other customers you could service. Um, so then it then it's all about how do you put the plan in place to maximize your chances of success um, while minimizing, you know, the bumps along that that road. I think having a shared definition of success, by the way, yeah. is also really important for it's any true. entrepreneur any who's considering yeah. investment, right? Yeah. Because there could be a founder out there who starts a company and says, yeah, I want to raise a couple million dollars. And boy, if someone would sell my, buy my company for $25 million someday, that would be amazing. And that's great. Like right. that's a great outcome. Right. But an investor who comes along yeah. and now is investing at a $25 million pre-money valuation with a return expectation of making three to five times their money, yeah. the entrepreneur has to understand what they're signing up for. Yeah. And hopefully you have like really good alignment yeah. and shared expectations of what is success or failure. Yeah, the word that comes to mind there too is transparency. Absolutely. And just really good communication. Yeah. Um, so actually let's double click on communication. I, I, it kind of, what's, 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 um, what's lingering on my mind a bit is that first role you had. Yep like the headset on. Yep. It's similar to like, I remember that fear when I was like, I was at an ag a marketing agency uh, after, like right after I graduated from Boston University and just like hitting the phone and calling mm -hmm. people and being nervous. But that getting over that hump yep. was like one of the biggest hurdles. And one of the biggest things that um, that young people can can learn is sort of like the those like, the, those sort of, those, those skills. Yep. Um, not necessarily like, book skills, but like mm -hmm. having the, 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 the grit and the ambition, um, and you know, the community, you know, some communication ability, a lot of, a lot of businesses communication. Um, are you noticing like, you, you know, it's 20 person company yep. are, is that something where like when you're hiring people, you're like looking for people that are like really good communicators, or is that something that do you guys have like, um, for your analysts, do you sort of train them up on communication or is that something that you expect people to have? So we will oftentimes do an initial screen where it's like a phone screen. Like how comfortable is this mm -hmm. person on the phone just having a conversation? Yeah. Uh, you can weed people out, I think, that way. Yeah. Um, you can absolutely learn how to have a conversation with an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. right? And because of that, we we do train folks. We'll bring in, um, you know, sales consultants to help folks in their early weeks. Um, and I think that's something you can kind of continue to hone and, and get better at. One of the most important skills, by the way, it's just the ability to listen, right? And mm -hmm. hear what the other person is saying, as opposed to just, it's not necessarily like you want the loudest, most gregarious, outgoing person because that person might not be a good communicator they might not know how to listen right mm -hmm. um you know so the communication is definitely uh, a two-way street but we certainly i mean we, we do personality tests yeah um cool on our, on our hires to understand like how do they pattern match 
yeah. to the existing employee base and past employees who have had success yeah. in their role. Yeah, it's, I'm going to stay on the communication thing for a little bit because I've actually been talking to a lot of people about it recently. Like, even active listening, yep. like, it, you would normally just think, like, active, oh, good, you're a good active listener. But there's, like, bad active listening mm-hmm. where, like, and, and even I'll do this sometimes where I'll get excited and if I'm talking to someone, I'll talk over them and try to say what I think they're going to say. So I'm actively listening and trying to interject while they're still talking. That's not good communication, right? You're like describing yeah. me, by the way. But that's well, that's, I, I am very prone to do that exact same thing. I've been going through like an introspective moment. You know, it's the start of a new decade, <laughs> yeah, Sean, no, right? I'm so, there. This is the year of active listening. Yes, I'm, it's I'm the year of, 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 of uh, you know, proper, mindful, active listening. And then sort of, I've had a couple interesting folks on the podcast that teach coding to young people. Mm-hmm. Like the, um, the one of the bigger, more prominent ones in Boston is Resilient Coders. Um and it's sort of part of hack diversity, and I think it's I think that I think it's great. Um, it, it, I also just feel like there's probably room for more um, programs that aren't necessarily like computer science, you know, engineering focused. Like just like get down to brass tacks, like communication style. Like hey, like meet the you know, like learn how to just humanizing the business world to young mm-hmm. people like Boston Public Schools has a has a program Boston Plan for Excellence I actually chatted to with the head of um, external comms for for the uh, BPE which runs the airport and STEM Academy in mm-hmm. Roxbury and the thing about that program is there and this is like it's small right now but it's on to something and as I kind of bring this up because I kind of want to push a little bit in like this some of the stuff we talked about before we went live yeah. like socioeconomic you know, change, mindful impact that we all have to be aware of as we're like here in, you know, beautiful offices in downtown Boston, which is getting increasingly expensive to, you know, cohabitate in. Uh, But Boston Public Schools through Dearborn STEM Academy being run by Boston Plan for Excellence is creating these bridges like with Microsoft where they're taking young students from Roxbury who as I'm told by the Dearborn STEM Academy, feel like Back Bay may as well be Los Angeles. Yep. Like, what do I? What am I going to go to Back Bay for? But they're taking them to Cambridge to visit the Microsoft garage and chat with professionals to just humanize, like, these big, you know, the, the Microsofts, the Fidelities, the Wayfarers, the TripAdvisors, of all these big brands. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm just... Like I'm bringing all that up because you know one of the things that one of the reasons that I started this this podcast was to help create like an audio layer of discovery mm-hmm. for certainly people in the tech and innovation economy to get to know each other better yep. than like gleaning insights off like our LinkedIn mm-hmm. right that's pretty static like learning um, but also to provide this to um, like the Chamber of Commerce in the Merrimack Valley has like taken it and shared it with like team coordinators in Lawrence mm-hmm. so that kids can be like, hey, like you can kind of learn and, and navigate what are the different types of people who are kind of thriving in different careers in Boston, right? Yep. Um, so with all that said uh, and all that context, just curious, what are your thoughts on, you know, your father of four, Mm-hmm. And we, I have a father of one right now, but our, our, you know, we should, we have this um, goal of most parents, I think all parents do make the world a better place for our children. Yep. Right. What are your thoughts on what's happening in Boston, rising rents, kind of like bit of a housing crisis, bit of a traffic issue, lots of, um, lots of suburbs that are not necessarily, um, tethered to the city that well. When you go a few miles out of the city, they don't know what Hub Week is. 60,000 people attend it every year. You can go. There's a bunch of free content. Like, you can learn and network. Um, where do you think we go in the, the 2020s, in yeah. these roaring 20s? Yeah, so I think, first, I think what you're doing is great to try and provide some of that connective tissue and put some content out there to kind of spread the word of, you know, what different folks are doing and what opportunities may exist out there. I mean, I think... You know, if you're asking me how do we solve the world's problems, I unfortunately don't have the answer to that. But I do think like the opportunity gap and the widening of the opportunity gap is a challenge that we need to solve. Sure. Um, you know, you talk about my four kids, like 
you know, my goal is to give them all the opportunities my parents gave me, right? And expose them to, to things. And thankfully, I have the resources to be able to do that. Not everyone does. And if I think about that in the context of our business, what we do, funding entrepreneurs, many of whom are immigrants, you know, and, and you look back, I go back to business school, right? And, yeah. and, and one of my favorite classes was the history of capitalism. And you read about all these uh, early, you know, 20th century, late 19th century entrepreneurs who went on to great success. Most of them came from absolutely nothing. They immigrated to this country with like not a dollar to their name. And they pursued opportunity through a combination of education and like hard work. Yeah. And, you know, I think leading up till today, like the old American dream, yeah. you know, people come here to pursue yeah. the American dream. And yeah. I think you're only limited by your own hard work and your yeah. willingness to put in the effort. But unfortunately, not everyone is given the same opportunities. Right. Um, so I think the types of things you're talking about where you're exposing people's worldview. I mean, I, I go back yeah. to myself, right? Like growing up in Allentown, PA, I had this great childhood, but my worldview was yeah. Allentown, PA. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I didn't know what existed right. outside of that world. So I think bringing people together and doing podcasts like the one you're doing and getting content out there to kind of spread the world word at least is like step one yeah. of like educating yeah. people, right? Um, now, obviously providing the resources to enable people to pursue those opportunities, uh, easier said than done. Oh yeah, right. It takes like very com complex frameworks. And I think, that, I mean, that some of the ones that we've, we've documented and, and kind of shared then amongst each other, it's cool. Like the, what I think what Boston Public Schools is doing with Dearborn STEM Academy and how they're tethering to the private sector is like really great yeah. and extremely promising. And then if, if that framework can make its way to yep. Hang, you know, that, I mean, there's you know, another South one. Shore, North Shore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mentioned I'm a product of Catholic school. There's an organization, Cristo Rey, which is yeah. the same thing. It's a Catholic, you know, organization. Yeah. But it's funded, you know, part of the, the students get internships by local businesses yeah. where they're getting that exposure as they're moving through their kind of educational path. Cool. So you have, and you have some, um, some ch uh, charities that you're involved with in your, I think you're training for, is it a marathon right now? Or? I am. Training for the Boston Marathon, yes. And, uh, and which foundation are you running that for? So I'm running for the Joey and Drewsy Foundation. Mm -hmm. So you may remember Joe, played yeah. for the Patriots. Uh, it's a great organization that provides financial assistance to families who are dealing with a cancer diagnosis and the financial hardships that that often presents, whether it be through missed work or treatments and so forth. Yeah. Um, so it just does, and it's a local organization that's really focused on this you know, Boston and the greater New England community. Yeah. Um, so it's funny, the reason I, I'm not a runner, mm -hmm. um, but I had uh, a mentor when I was at Summit, uh, amazing guy, tragically, he passed away in a plane crash wow. um, a number of years ago. And one of my other mentors from Summit sent out an email saying, hey, he was a runner and an incredibly philanthropic guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and just a great example mm -hmm. for how you should live your life. And he wanted to get together a group of folks to run the marathon in Joe's name, mm. but also in that vein to find a charity that really spoke to you and, and you know, you felt connected to and, and, and could motivate you to do that. So there's a group of, wow. I think it's like 25, 30 people, many of whom still work yeah. at Summit, Team Trusty, uh, overall nice. running for different uh, respective uh, charities. That's cool. So there's a, there's a, there's a common thread amongst those 25, 30 people for this, this, old co-worker friend yep. from, from someone yep. who passed away. Yep. You guys are running in, in his honor in addition to running for Joe and all that that stands for. You name it. Yeah, yep. that's really cool. Yep. When's the, uh, is it Boston you're running? It is uh, Boston, yeah. So I'm like five five weeks in to training, how maybe. You, how are you doing as a non-runner training? So far, so good. I've, I have run a marathon before, yeah. Chicago in 2003, I want to say. Okay. Um, so it's been a while since you it's trained. It's been a while. So, I, I mean, it's like a good 15 years since I ran more than yeah. five miles, you know. Uh, so, I'm still just like ramping up the mileage. Yeah. Uh, but so far, so far, so good. How old are your, how old your, all your kids? So, 13, 11, 9, and 5. Okay, because the biggest thing with training, and then you're just, you have this, you know, amazing, you know, career, and you're, I'm sure you're pretty busy. The time to train. It's a huge time commitment. I, I was, I was up to the half. Iron Man, like the 70.3 Iron Man. Good for you. Like right when my daughter was born. Wow. So I was like 
sprints, then I did a few Olympics, and yep. then the year, the year, yeah, it must have been the year my um, my wife got pregnant was the year I did the 70.3. I haven't done one since, uh, so it's been a few years. Um, and well, the that's biggest tougher because you got to train multiple disciplines. That is tougher. So, yeah, maybe I need to go to the marathon thing for a while, but I think yeah. about my time now and how everything is about career and exciting initiatives. So it's like, I will say it's like, I'm a goal oriented person. Sure. Yeah. So I need to like set a target and then I can work against that, but it's also good force discipline, um, you know, to set this, the time aside and I think fitness, you know, I was into CrossFit for a long time. I still do that. Um, it's, you know, you just have to sacrifice sleep, honestly. You yeah. Get up a little bit. Get better. You, you got to find time. Yeah. And the found time ends up being early. I yeah. Getting up early, but that's the time. I, that's that's when I do it. Yeah. Yeah. One of our, so like, I, um, media consulting business, Fabric Media, one of our analysts who goes to CES with us every year, he actually does CrossFit the entire CES. Well, that's gets up every morning. Yeah. One, I guess one of the original five. CrossFit, like OG CrossFit trainers, yep. is a big, I don't know his name, but he's in Las Vegas. Yep. And so I guess a ton of, and I guess it's really good networking. If you do CrossFit and you're ever at a conference in Vegas, apparently people so go and do it's it. It's funny you say that. Like, so I got into it probably eight or nine years ago, and I have met so many people through CrossFit. Yeah. That I've ended up interacting with in a con- in a business context. And there's a lot of there's a lot of like people that joke that CrossFit's the new golf course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like in terms yeah. of like making business connections. Yeah, yeah, way. it's similar for for me. Like when I was still, I'm I'm from the Boston area, but I, I was out in LA for like five years with my wife, and I used to meet really interesting people like cycling. Yep, because that's like of all the things you too you would train for um, for a triathlon, the cycling takes the longest, and you. Yep. It's nice to have groups and I'd meet people. And then even being back in Boston, um, one of the, um, he's become a good friend that I actually interviewed on the podcast, but um, Sam Thompson, he's a managing director at Progress, um, Progress Partners and mm-hmm. Progress Ventures. And they do some like ad tech investments, which align with a lot of yep. companies Fabric works with. But I like, I just know Sam because he like organizes the Cambridge, like, like, um, like big group rides out of Cambridge. Yep. So when I moved back, I was like, oh, like, this is great group rides out of Cambridge. And it was like, Oh, it's Sam Thompson. Yep. Like, Oh, the dude's a beast on a bike. Like, yep. like he's not like, he looks good in a suit. You should see him on a bike. You want to grab his wheel. That guy's, yep. that guy's flying. Um, so what's the, um, what's the, the Cantwell family get into in the winter? Are you guys skiers, snowboarders? What's so, you know, we mentioned that I'm training for yeah. the marathon. My wife, is like a CrossFit beast. Okay. Like she is legit. Okay. And so in addition to being like an unbelievably amazing mother of four, yeah. I don't know how she juggles. Oh, she's a badass. I don't know how she juggles all this stuff, but she's competing in this wow. CrossFit event in Miami called Wadapalooza. Oh, wow. Sometime in February, I'm going down there. Sounds like something up. you're going to have fun at. But she's like, <laughs> she's right now, like, you know, she's training in the pool to get ready for the swimming and all that sort of stuff. So she had to qualify for this event. Wow. And like again, in the, re- like, regionally, like, I think so. It might have been nationally. Yeah, okay. I'm not totally up on it. But yeah. I know it's, like, a huge accomplishment Yeah. Uh, to qualify and, and make it down there. So we'll be, I'll be down there cheering her on. And, and my kids, kids, my yeah. kids are, you know, entering that age where they're, crazy busy so yeah i have a daughter going to a gymnastics meet in new york this weekend another daughter my oldest one is in a cheerleading competition in atlantic city oh geez all over. so my wife's going to new york my my parents thankfully are you know yeah. gonna take care of my daughter in atlantic city and i'm home with the younger two this weekend nice. so it's uh just activities yeah. basketball gymnastics cheerleading yeah you name it not that you have time but you get in any coaching with the basketball or anything? You know, or? so my oldest daughter, I coached. Okay. And then we got to the point where we have, like, four kids. And yeah. back to the point about time. Yeah. And I travel a decent amount. It was like, how do I... I could probably coach one team, but how yeah. do I choose which coach? Yeah. Which which uh, which kid to coach? Yeah. Uh, so my youngest two, who I have not yet coached, I coached the older two at various points in time. Uh, I will probably get back into it yeah. uh, for them. But yeah. for the time being, I'm on the sidelines. I had a pa- like a mentor and a you know, parent of some older daughters. Like he said, like he did this, like he's like, I couldn't coach them both their teams at once, but I coached each of their teams at an early enough time where like 
I didn't have to worry too much about, like about how great of a coach I was anyways, but yeah. also like there's way better coaches suited for this than me. So yeah. after a few years I coached them and it's like yeah. bring the professionals, air quotes, yeah. in into the coaching and then kind of you know, coach the next one. Yeah. My little man who's five, like there'll probably be opportunity. The other the other challenge is like my daughters, what they're into, I know nothing about. Like my yeah. wife my wife was a gymnast. Yeah. Uh and my older daughters do like gymnastics yeah. and cheerleading. Uh, so that's kind of that's well, kind of mom's world. Yeah, that's the stuff that you just like. I, I admired uh, my father learning the game of soccer. Yeah. So like my dad was even when I was like young, like into like I remember being nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old. My dad drove for UPS. Yeah. And so he used to play in like fast pitch softball leagues with like the yeah. Teamsters Local Twenty Five, like the union team. He was playing hockey, so he was like a baseball hockey player. And then we played all sports. We played baseball, yeah. we played soccer, we played basketball, but we all played soccer, including my younger sister. So after, and my dad never tried to coach my brother and I, yeah. and we were always on like the travel teams. He's like, yeah. great, yeah, go, let, the, let the pros coach you. But by the time my sister um, was coming up through travel, like there wasn't a travel coach. And so my dad, who had just kind of acquired a little knowledge, he became like a prominent like Methuen youth soccer coach so funny and i admired that. the hell out of it that he like you he and i really lived parallel childhoods <laughs> really so you're describing my dad right now oh really my dad didn't know what a soccer ball yeah. was my sister signed up and they needed a coach yeah. so we did it then he ended up coaching her like all the way through and then he yeah. coached my teams yeah. all the way through yeah. there's some transferable thing yeah. like it was your dad into some other sports and kind of yeah i mean yeah. He's an athletic yeah exactly yeah. so he was just like okay like i would like i'm it's gonna be funny when i actually do what I'm telling you guys to do because yeah. it would it would always be funny. But he he put together a pretty structured practice. Yeah, the team <laughs> yeah. was pretty good. Yeah. And then obviously my yeah. brother and I would come down and we would help and stuff. Yeah. But it's cool. It brought it brought the family together. Any um, so it sounds like everyone's just like busy with with trips and everything. And, and yeah, did you did you guys try to get away for some family vacations throughout the year? You put, we do. So I grew up in Pennsylvania, yeah. as we've discussed, which. That means you vacation on the Jersey Shore in the yeah, summer. Oh, yeah. like that's our Cape. Right. So in the summers, sun's out, guns out. You got it. Yeah. You know, tank top Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, there you, you go. Like, uh, so we, uh, yeah, like every year, it's like a tradition. We go down and hang out with my parents, my sister, her family, uh, down the which, Jersey Shore. Which so town? Like which part so, of the shore? So Longport is the town. It's it's one town north of Ocean City. Okay. And like four town, three, four towns south of Atlantic City, so South Jersey. Um, yeah, so that's our spot. And then, you know, we'll find times to maybe yeah. take like a long weekend here and nice. there, go up to like Stowe to go cool. skiing or something like that, maybe yeah. try to get down to the warm weather yeah. in the winter. Nice. Yeah, I'm sure. Trying to be good in the beginning of the year, planning a couple of things. Like, we're doing a little ski house next weekend, and I don't ski or snowboard, but yeah. I make a great snow bunny, and I'll yeah. just I'll stay home, hang in the hot tub. Uh, we're going up to like Conway area, and in March, just planned a trip to Savannah. Nice. So love, love it. We were, we, my wife and I have driven cross country four times and Savannah, we went through for the first time in the last drive. Great spot for St. Patrick's Day, by the way. Dude, there's I've seen this, the like, pictures. There's this underground, huge Irish community in Savannah. It's insane, yeah. actually, when you go, yeah, like when you walk through Savannah, many of the bars, especially down by the water, like yeah. there's, we were with our daughter and our dog, like, yeah. and we were like, we kept seeing pictures and it was like St. Patrick's Day, yeah. 2002. And it's like an insane amount of people. And they're like open, they're an open carry um, or drinking city. Like, I don't, like, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's open carry. Sounds like you'd have a, a gun. So that's not yeah. correct. But you could drink in public and walk the streets. So everywhere you go in Savannah, everyone's like, do you want a to-go cup? Yeah. <laughs> like, absolutely. Yeah. Can I get two? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I'm dealing with a nine-month-old driving across country. Yes, yeah, please. good for you, man. Yeah. Um, cool. What do you get? Uh, so you're where are you off to? You're off to New York this weekend? No, I'm or, here. Oh, you're with here. Younger too. So we live in Needham. I was going to uh, ask you where home was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Needham. We just. It's funny. Like when I graduated business school, and you know, we had the our oldest daughter. Um, you know, it seemed like the time to move to the burbs, mm -hmm. and I knew like one guy 
who had moved to the burbs and I was like, yeah, like where should I live? And he said, Needham. Mm-hmm. So that's where we looked. And cool. Yeah. That's where we are. Still nice. 14 years later. Yeah. That's right. So your, your wife's doing New York, your parents doing Atlantic city. Yes. Yeah. We you lucked out this weekend. We did. So it, it was actually like, we were a little bit unlucky that the Atlantic city and New York fell on the same, the same weekend. weekend. So we had to like scramble to yeah. get my daughter a ride down there. Yeah. My parents are going to, you know, meet, meet, meet her down there. Yeah. Um, um I'm going to Needham next week, actually, to Spigo, or what's the name of the restaurant? I'll have to, maybe that's not, not the restaurant I'm going to. I think it's Spigo. But uh, Larry Gennari, my most, um, two podcasts ago, he's a, he's a tech um, lawyer for a lot of companies, yep. and Larry uh, Gennari Aronson, it's off on 128. He does these, like, dinners once a month, and I want to say that was the name of the restaurant, but it, wherever it is, it's in Needham. All right. Well, if, if you, you haven't know. been to Sweet Basil, okay, you need them. Shout out Sweet Basil. Okay. Free plug. Best chicken parm on the planet. Oh, I stand you, by that. Dude, you had me at chicken parm. That when I moved. So make the yeah, trip. Make okay. the trip to Needham for the chicken parm. It's sweet. They don't basil? take reservations. Yeah. Okay. And it's BYO, so you got to bring a bottle of wine. Oh, nice. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Cool. My friends, just how far is that from um, Wayland? Hmm. Less than 30 minutes. Okay. 20, 30 just, minutes, right? A lot of my friends are on, like, the North Shore and, like, out yeah. in Beverly. One of my buddies just bought a house okay. in Wayland. So, okay. just, like, yeah. but there's not a ton going on in Wayland. Yeah. No. So, but is that need a map a little Yeah, it's down, got, like, downtown. a little downtown. Nice. A little downtown area. It's a good spot. We love it. Cool. So, I guess we're both going to fight traffic now home on a Friday in Boston. We're both at cars here. Yes. We're in the middle of the vortex. Yes, we yeah. are. Yeah. It's That's one of the benefits of being in Back Bay, by the way, versus downtown. It, like, saves coming in from the last, which I am. It, yeah. like, takes, like, 15 minutes off your commute, commute each way. Yeah. Just, I, I'm hit, like, one of the, like, when I come here to underscore and I'm lazy and I take the car, like, it's it's nice to be in your own whip and, you know, listen. To, I listen to a lot of podcasts. That said... Nothing's more efficient for me than just jumping on the commuter rail. You got any good podcast recommendations, by the way? Oh, I got a ton. But I'm a media tech guy, so I listen to Recode, the yep, Recode I, podcast. I, I, okay. No, yep. Yeah, so I listen to Kara, Swisher, Recode Decode. I really like Peter Kafka, yep. the Recode Media one. Um, Digiday. I don't know that so one. So Digiday is really good. It's sort of like, it's, it's sort of, um, if, you know, the, the digital beat at like an advertising age. Yep. But the whole publication is just like very, very strong digital media coverage. Mm-hmm. And the reason, and like a good way to sort of put them into context is most writers from Digiday end up at Wall Street Journal and they end up on the CMO Today beat. Got it. So they write for like chief marketers and like chief growth officers mm-hmm. um, in we're sort of like media and advertising or being just disrupted by technology. Yep. Which is, which is my jam. Um, I tend to listen and then like my guilty pleasure podcast is the toucher and rich one. Like I love my, I like, I like their show. I like they're not just all about sports, but I need my sports fix. Yep. I also like their, their style. I usually will, you know, check their four segments later in the day. And yep. when I'm walking the dog or working out, like I'm the dude that's at the gym, like listening to a podcast yeah. when I'm working no, out. What I have found that yeah. podcasts help pass the time. Yeah on a run mm-hmm. for my marathon training mm-hmm. better than music. So I've same. Yeah. I mean, I always listen to podcasts to and from work. Yeah. A lot of entrepreneurial stuff. Yeah. Um, like how I built this on NPR. Oh, yeah. Which is great. The story. But like a guilty pleasure, a part yeah. of my take I listen to, yeah. but then a guilty pleasure one yeah. I've recently started listening to, which is good is the rewatchables. Okay. It's a Bill Simmons, like the ringer, okay. ringer network where basically like three people will get on a pod and just like break down a classic movie that oh, is cool. rewatchable, right? So yeah. like Top Gun, uh, The Town, I just listened to. Okay. They're just like breaking it down. Uh, they're they're oh, pretty wow. entertaining. I would like that. My brother would particularly like that. I have a few like like film buff buddies. And my brother was a film major at BU. Yeah. That's... The Top Gun one, cool. though, is hilarious. I would start there. It was referred really? to me in passing through a CrossFit friend, yeah. actually, uh, a few weeks ago. And that nice. put me onto it. And I've, I've listened to a few of them now. I heard a stat I read the other day because the ringer has some suitors right now yeah. that 80% of the ringer's revenue is from podcast. The podcast I, I mean, they're pretty prolific. In it's freaking amazing. Yeah. Um, 
And so there's like a few, that one wasn't even on my, I had like, I can't, there's a list of two or three that people have recommended to me that yeah. ring up. Like I'm a big basketball yeah. guy. I haven't really. For so me, if you're a basketball guy, like Ryan Rossillo, that's it. So yeah. he, he is one of the guests on the rewatchables. Oh, really? He's great. Okay, like, cool. Everything out of his mouth is gold. Yeah. And this, then it becomes a thing with like how much time I have because yeah. I, I, like I'm, I'm the dude that opts into like the Bleacher Report, like Boston Celtics NBA updates. And yeah. like, like I follow the Celtics, like it's like one of the soap operas in my life. Yeah. Like I just, I like the NBA soap oh. opera, but if oh, I, so NBA Twitter, man, that's NBA like Twitter, NBA Twitter blew up the other night for Zion. Oh yeah, it did. Did you see that? I did. I actually played that night. I found a, I hadn't played pickup a pick up or organize or any type of basketball in a few years. I've been playing soccer in LA, yep. soccer when I moved back and I found a pickup game that's right down the street for me. So I went and bought shoes. Basketball shoes are super ugly. The little yep. bronze suck. The James Hardens are like weird looking. I found the Donovan Mitchells. They were like kind of cool. Yep. My wife approved when I came home. Yep. So I went and played basketball for like two hours Wednesday night, a couple nights ago. And I came home and I was all fired up and I saw that the game was on. I saw Zion sitting on five points. I'm like, he's going to go off. And I stayed up. Four for four. And he's from three. three. 17 in a row. Yeah. And I couldn't believe they took him out of you the know, game. You know, he never he never hit more than three three-pointers in a, during his in time a, at Duke. Yeah, he, he hit four for four. four, four. And like, yeah. He never scored more than 17 points in a half. And he scored 17 points in three minutes in his yeah. NBA debut. Yeah. So that's fun. So yeah, I get I get caught. And then and to your point about NBA Twitter, yeah. like I went on to see what people are saying, and literally people are like, Well, it only took three minutes and three seconds for Zion to blow up NBA Twitter. That's right. Yeah. Sean, this has been a pleasure, man. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. I enjoyed it. It's yeah. fun. Looking forward to it. And you'll have to let me know when you get a studio set up over at Volition. I'll come check it out. Sounds good. Yeah. We'll do. All right. Cheers, Boston. Cheers.